0: One of my favorite TV programs. Listen up, Linda. Okay, this is for you. One of my one of my favorite TV programs is the Star Trek series. I'm coming for you. Okay. And if, and if you and if you didn't know. Star Trek Day, which celebrates fifty-five years of Star Trek, was last Wednesday. Did you know that, Linda? Okay, no, right. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Hurts my feelings. <clears throat> in one of the in one of the Star Trek episodes of of Deep Space Nine, it was one of the spinoffs of the Star Trek Enterprise series, Worf, who, who is an officer assigned to the space station called Deep Space Nine, is captured by the evil Dominion. Yes, and taken to their training camp. Now, if you didn't know, Linda... Okay, Worf is an alien who comes from a, a brutal uh, warrior race called the Klingons. Thank you, thank you for that. Okay, thank you. And they have a well-known reputation for being very fierce fighters. And Wharf's captors intend to use him as a practice dummy in their in their combat training. Are you following me? You paying attention, Linda? Okay, okay. Thank you. They bring out soldier after soldier to fight wharf. But he is a master at hand-to-hand combat. And he beats them up one by one until they tap out and quit. Yes. Like Chuck Norse. Yes. Okay. So after, <clears throat> after Worf has been taking on all comers for most of the day the Dominion finally bring out their biggest and their baddest soldier. The one they know will be able to defeat Worf. They begin to fight. But Worf is just too weak from all the day's struggles in the previous combat. He is little more than a, than a punching bag for the dominion soldier. But Worf <clears throat> will not give up. He keeps getting up. No matter how many times he is knocked down. No matter how, how badly he is injured, he simply will not quit. As the fight continues, it's obvious that Worf has gained the respect and the admiration from all the Dominion soldiers because of his warrior spirit, including the one who is beating him to a pulp. They all began to beg Worf to tap out and to quit, but he will not. Finally, after sheer exasperation, the soldier who is beating Worf up quits and taps out himself. When asked by his enraged commander why he stopped, the soldier answers, I cannot defeat this man. I can only kill him. Think about those words for a moment. I cannot defeat this man. I can only kill him. I hope those are the kinds of words that could be said of me by my enemy, the devil. I cannot defeat this man. I can only kill him. Instead of giving up, instead of tapping out, we continue to endure And persevere. No matter how difficult the circumstances. When thinking about the apostle John. Who wrote the book of Revelation. Those may have been the kind of words spoken by his enemies. As they attempted to stop him from sharing the gospel of jesus christ last week we began our our study of the book of revelation <clears throat> starting with the greeting and the introduction and as a reminder the word revelation simply means to uncover to unveil to discover This book is the revelation, not revelations, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in this book, we will discover things about Jesus that we have not seen before. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's pick up where we left off. If you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 1, and we will begin with verse 9. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Are you there? Continuing with the introduction, we read, I, John... Your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Do we have that? Oh, we do have that chart up. Good. So if you see, here, here's a map of the seven churches uh, starting counterclockwise. Is that right here? Yes. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. This most likely was a, a postal route. A postal route. There were other churches in the area, but this was probably just a, a postal route. Like this. And over here, probably about 40 miles from the coast, is the island of Patmos. That's where John was. Okay? Thank you, of course. <clears throat> okay. Okay. At the time of the writing of this letter, and this is around 95 96 AD, the known world was under the reign of Roman Emperor Domitian. Domitian saw himself as deity, as a savior, as Lord, a god. And he demanded that those under his rule worship and serve him as such. Obviously, this was a huge problem for the true followers of Christ, who were convinced that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life. They knew that Jesus was the true Savior and Lord. The lamb that God had sent to take away the sin of the world. Not the emperor. So they could not abide by the emperor's demand. As a result, those who did not tap out and bend under the pressure to compromise... were severely persecuted by the Roman authorities. And the Apostle John was not immune to this persecution. John acknowledged they were suffering together in the kingdom. He was their partner in affliction. He joined them in their distress. In fact, John was exiled to the small, barren, volcanic island of Patmos. Which is located, as I showed you, off the western coast of Asia Minor, which would now be modern-day Turkey. Patmos was an island surrounded by shark-infested waters. Thought to be used as a Roman penal colony, like Alcatraz. It was the destination for criminals and political prisoners. An ideal place for punishment and forced labor in the marble mines. And many there died of exposure. They died from violent crimes from other prisoners. And they died from starvation. John was exiled there because of his boldness in speaking of Jesus and sharing the gospel message the Roman authorities could not defeat John. They could not shut him up. And to kill John would make a martyr of John and create a huge uproar. So it's off to this rocky dot in the ocean for John. The Roman authorities assumed there was nothing John could do on that island to promote the cause of Christ. That's what they assumed. There is nothing John can do from there. And boy, how they were wrong. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The Roman authorities exiled John to Patmos because of his faith in Jesus and preaching of the Word of God. They took matters into their own hands, thinking they had the upper hand, but as part of God's purpose and plan, God used this situation So that John could receive and record this divinely inspired revelation. From a human point of view. What John experienced was certainly unwanted. Maybe even unexpected. He's afflicted. And suffering. And surely, this isn't where he wanted to be. I mean, John is the last apostle. He's the last apostle in the center of God's will. John's doing what God wanted him to do. And because he was doing what God wanted him to do, he now finds himself on this barren rock called Patmos. John is on Patmos because of God. And from a human perspective, this may not seem right. But from God's perspective, This was an ideal situation for John to receive this revelation. What the Roman authorities did to shut John up, God used as a springboard to produce one of the most popular books in the entire Bible. God causes all things to work together for those who love Him. To those who are called according to His purpose. And I repeat that because there may be some here who feel as if God has put you on Patmos, so to speak. You are not where you are expected to be. You are not where you want to be. And as far as you know, you are walking with the Lord. But you find yourself in a difficult and barren place. In the study of Red Sea Rules by Robert Morgan, The first rule is this God means for you to be where you are. The trials that you and I face are not the result of some cosmic mistake or blunder. God is not caught off guard or surprised by our difficulties. Our hardships are not something that have occurred outside of God's will or apart from God's love. As followers of Christ, we should not think that God has abandoned us or forsaken us or forgotten us on Patmos. A.W. Tozer said, To the child of God, there is no such thing as an accident. He travels an appointed way. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him and misfortune stalk his way but these evils will be so in appearance only and will seem evil only because we cannot read the secret script of God's hidden providence God has a divine purpose and plan for each of us. And we need to realize that God means for us to be where we are. There are some experiences. There are some Patmos experiences that are necessary for us to draw Closer to God and for God to do something in our lives. God meant for John to be on Patmos. John tells us in verse 10 that he received this unique revelation on the Lord's Day, a Sunday. And he was worshiping God, yielding to the presence and the influence of the Holy Spirit on the prison island of Patmos. Did you get that? John is still worshiping God even though he is in exile on a rock because of God. He didn't blame God. He didn't shake his fist at God in anger. I did what you wanted and this is how you repay me. He didn't doubt God's love. I thought you loved me. But now it seems you don't? No, instead, John worshipped God on Patmos. And he had an experience with the Spirit of God. In spite of his suffering, John understood that God was doing something. Something greater, something bigger than himself, and John was part of it. Then John tells us he heard a voice like the sound of a trumpet. It was crisp and clear and loud to John, and he is told, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. John hears, he sees, and he writes it down. That's a regular pattern throughout this book of Revelation. John gets the revelation, and we get the book. That's a fair trait. He gets the revelation, we get the book. Now, <clears throat> before we press on to the next section, I need to remind you of something I mentioned last week. Okay? Portions of this book, the next portion, for example. Are presented in an apocalyptic writing style. A style that uses signs and numbers, colors, and vivid images to represent deeper truths and meanings. And as we navigate through this apocalyptic, Writing, it's important that we identify and appreciate what is to be taken literally and what is to be considered symbolic to help us understand what is being revealed. Okay? Let me give you a good example from a well known TV commercial. Okay? If I ask you to picture a little green talking gecko, what comes to mind? Geico. Geico. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. 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 It just came. Spontaneous combustion. That's right. A literal, a literal insurance company comes to mind Geico thank you Jason Geico has chosen an animated talking gecko for their commercials as a symbol for their company when you see a talking gecko, you think of geico. Am I right? It works really good. And in that context, if you don't accept the geico the gecko as being merely symbolic, but instead take it literally then you got a bigger problem to deal with. That being to explain how a gecko can speak the English language. Right? The insurance company is a real, literal company. But they are represented by a symbolic, animated image. And it's important that we understand which is which. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. So without getting too deep into the symbolic weeds, let's look at this next section in chapter 1. We are told beginning in verse 12. We're in verse 12. This is John speaking. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest, with a golden sash. Let's stop right there. In this passage, John sees Jesus moving amongst seven golden lampstands. And if you drop down to the last portion of verse 20, we are told. The seven lampstands are symbolic of the seven real churches. Sometimes the symbols are explained to us. And sometimes they are not. In this case, they are. We are fortunate. So we are told that Jesus is in the midst of these churches. He is moving among the churches and ministering to the churches as the high priest given the description of the clothing that Jesus is seen wearing in this scene. Jesus is in the midst of his people as the high priest and this was important to hear as they faced persecution and suffering. The church, God's people need to understand that he cares what is going on in their lives. Jesus knows the struggles of each church and he knows the personal struggles of each person within each church. For he is in the midst of the church, which just so happens to be his church. Each lampstand represents a church. And it's helpful to point out that a lampstand is not a lamp. Jesus is the lamp. He is the light in a dark and dying world. And the purpose of the church is to glorify Him to point him out. To lift him up. For he is the only one who can save. The church is the lampstand; He is the lamp. John continues with his description of Jesus. And he says beginning with verse 14. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held Seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Okay. These are the kind of passages that I tend to struggle with. I'm being honest with you. I struggle with these kinds of passages. I know they are symbolic in nature. I know that. Because to take this passage literally would suggest that fire is in the eyes of Jesus and swords shoot out of his mouth. And that's kind of scary to think about. This is a symbolic description Of Jesus. This is what Jesus is revealing about himself to John. This is what Jesus wants John to see and write down for the church. Okay? Now I want to tell you there are several ideas for interpreting the meaning of this passage. There is a lot of speculation of what represents what. And I don't want to create any confusion and lose sight of Jesus in the process. That's my fear. I don't want to lose sight of Jesus in the process. So I'm going to offer some suggestions as to what, what is being said here. Okay? Again, they're just suggestions. When describing Jesus in this revelation, we are told that his head and his hair are are white, like wool and snow. Which even today appears to be symbolic of wisdom. Right? We talk about people with, with white hair, silver hair, gray hair, being people with wisdom. We just attribute wisdom to that. Characteristic. Okay. So it appears to be symbolic of wisdom. The Lord is omniscient. He is omniscient. Meaning he knows everything. He knows it all. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Matter of fact, just just real quick here, did you notice how many times I used the word like? Or John used the word like? Sound like a teenage girl. Right? Sounds just like a teenage girl. Like this, like that. Sorry over there. <laughs> no, but absolutely. My guess is John is, is struggling to describe what he sees. Trying to put what he sees into, into vocabulary. To put it into words. So he's using the word like. That's symbolic. Looks like this. Not saying it is this. It looks like this. So he says his eyes were like a flame of fire, suggesting that he sees all. Nothing is hidden from him. And therefore, he can judge righteously. His feet were like burnished bronze. Your translation may say brass mind burnished bronze he is a powerful king and his enemies will become nothing but footstools under his feet he is omnipotent he has unlimited power his voice is like the sound of many waters you've been to multiple falls right you can't ignore it can you You can't ignore the noise. You can't ignore Jesus here. When he speaks, cannot be ignored. We're also told in his right hand, Jesus held seven stars. That's easier to figure out because again in verse 20, it is explained to us. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, the Greek word for angel, okay, the Greek word for angel means a messenger of God, okay, a messenger, a messenger of God, and that is open to some interpretation. Some suggest that each church has a guardian angel of sort. And I guess that would be the simplest interpretation. It says angel, so so angel it is. But to go out on a limb here, I think these messengers here are actually the pastors of these churches. And I think this way, I got a reason for my madness. I think this way because of the flow I mentioned last week. Go back to verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, that's where the title comes from, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, servants the things which must soon take place and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant John ok stop right there it starts with God the Father and it's given to him that's the son Then, it is communicated by an angel to John. That's the flow we see. Father, Son, to an angel, then to John. You see the flow? It would make sense to me, considering that flow, that it would then flow from John down to pastors, not back up to angels. Does that make sense? I will admit, it is somewhat foreign to me, because no one has ever called me an angel. Not even my mother called me an angel. Okay? But be that may, I think... These messengers are the pastors of these churches. Okay? Okay. Back to our passage. In verse 16, we are told, Out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Word of God is described as the sharp, two-edged sword. Telling us that Jesus speaks with authority using God's Word, for He is God. And lastly, the face of Jesus was like the sun shining in its strength. This seems to refer to the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory. And if you recall the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain, it was there that John first saw the face of Jesus shining in glory like the sun. So all of this is revealed to John. This is how Jesus reveals himself to John. John sees all of this. He sees it all. And how does he he react? Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. When John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet like a dead man. Worship follows revelation. This is the only right response. But Jesus touches John and tells him, do not be afraid. How many times did Jesus say that to his own disciples? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Jesus can tell John, Not to fear. Because he is the first and the last. Jesus is the Lord from before the beginning of time until the end of time. And the time between time. Jesus can tell John not to be afraid. Because he is the living one. There is no need to fear death because Jesus died and is alive, having conquered sin and death. Jesus can tell John there is no need to fear eternity because Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. Do not be afraid. Now we come to the last two verses in in the chapter. And we've already covered chapter 20. So let's just see what what verse 19 has to tell us. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So John just gave us an outline for the book of Revelation. The things which you have seen. The things which you have seen would apply to chapter 1. These are the things that John just saw. The things which are, the things which are would apply to the churches in John's present day. This will include special messages to the seven churches, which we will see in chapters 2 and 3 beginning next week. Then there are the things that will take place after these things. And those are the things that shall be hereafter, referring to the end times. Outlined in chapters 4 through 22. Does this outline seem unbalanced? Yes. It seems unbalanced. But it's intentional. Because it's about the future. God's people needed to know that in spite of their present reality, they have a future. They have a future. Jesus will return just as He promised. He will be victorious. Good will triumph over evil. And in the end, in the end, It will all be worth it for those who overcome. To those who don't tap out. To those who do not quit. Ignis Jan Paterasky. Hope I didn't butcher that. Ignis Jan Padarasky. The famous... Polish pianist was scheduled to perform a great, a great concert in a hall in America. It was a high society extravaganza. Present in the audience that evening was a mother and her fidgety nine-year-old. In the picture already. She had brought him in hopes that when he heard the great composer play, he would be encouraged to practice the piano. As the mother turned to talk with some friends, he slipped away and was strangely drawn to the grand Steinway piano on the stage. Staring wide-eyed at the keys, the boy sat down on the stool, placed his small fingers on the keys, and began to play chopsticks. Now, I'm not musical in any shape, form, or fashion, but apparently... Chopsticks is is one of the easiest songs for a beginner to play. I would not know. I'm just taking that on face value, okay? Anyway, this nine-year-old boy is up on stage playing this song. And the roar of the audience came to a hush as frowning faces now focused on him. Someone began to shout, get that boy away from there. Where is his mother? Why is it always, where's his mother? Where is his mother? Somebody get that kid. Backstage, the master composer overheard the sounds out front. He quickly realized what was happening. And he hurried toward the stage. Without one word of announcement, he stooped over behind the boy, reached around on both sides, and began to improvise a counter to harmonize with and enhance the song. As they played chopsticks together, the composer kept whispering in the boy's ear, keep going, don't quit, keep playing, don't stop, don't quit. Can you picture that? Isn't that the same for us as we walk with the Lord Our playing of chopsticks (laughs) isn't impressing anyone. But about the time we are ready to give up, the arms come around us as we hear the Master say, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep walking. I love you. Don't quit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. Wow. I just thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your plans and your purposes. You are so good. I thank you that we can trust you even in the hard, difficult, chaotic times. You're a good, good God. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. In spite of us, in spite of our chopsticks, you come around us and you encourage us to never give up. Thank you, Lord. You are so good. You are so good. May you be honored and glorified. Father, help us to to draw near to you. To come to you. To abide in you. To rest in you. Help us to live for you. Because you died for us. May you be honored and glorified. May you be lifted up. In Jesus' name amen i i enjoyed the the truths from that that passage i don't know about you i, I thoroughly enjoy i i just and, and and probably more specifically just knowing that sometimes our heavenly father who has all power, who knows all, who sees all, who does what he wants for our good, sometimes in his sovereign wisdom, sometimes in his sovereign wisdom, he puts us on a barren rock. Right? You know what I'm talking about, so to speak? You know what I'm talking about? He puts us in a barren place, a hard place, a place we don't want to be, a place we didn't expect, a place we may feel like we don't deserve. But God has a purpose and a plan for what he does. Am I I right? The Roman authorities wanted to shut John up up and they threw him on a rock they threw him on a rock surrounded by shark infested waters to shut him up and what did God do produced the book of Revelation might be the most popular book in the entire Bible God knows what he is doing Does that mean life is always going to be easy for us? Does that mean we won't have struggles? Does that mean we won't face losses? But John was in the center of God's will. John was in the center of God's will. And still, God placed him in Patmos. John needed to be in Patmos. We serve a great God. He knows what he's doing. And when we find ourselves on that island, do what John did. He continued to worship God. That's just amazing. I didn't even see that until this week. He was still worshiping God on the island of Paphos. That's just so awesome. It's so encouraging. We serve a good God, and He loves us dearly. I hope the Lord spoke to you this morning and I just ask that you'd respond to Him. Maybe you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He died for you. And maybe you're on a Patmos so He can get your attention. He loves you that much to do so if you don't know Jesus Christ I would love to share him with you just respond to him maybe you're looking for a church to call home maybe this is it let us know as a church we would like to welcome you corporately Maybe there's something else going on. I would love to pray with you. Maybe, yes, sir. Congratulations! Being a grandparent is a new—it's a new thing. I tell you. Praise God! Congratulations! Should be proud. Yes, absolutely. Maybe there's a praise. Maybe there's a prayer request. Whatever it might be, I would love to hear it. I'd love to pray with you. However, the Lord leads you, I just ask you to just to just trust Him and respond to Him. Have a seat, ladies. Ladies first. Rosie. Sorry, Michael. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rosie, I don't know if you know her. Now, she's been coming for, for quite some time. Uh, she's the one that uh, keeps me out of trouble on Monday. She, uh, she cleans our church for us, and uh, she's just such a, such a blessing. I, I, and she's a really good cook. Uh, anyway, she has uh, expressed the desire to join our family, to join this church. So, I, I, I'm so I'm so grateful. I, I'm so thankful of that. And so as a church, uh, if, uh, you know, according to our Constitution bylaws, we need to uh, affirm her in. So, so for those who wish to uh, accept uh, Rosie in our congregation, can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Okay. Thank you. I'm not going to say anything else. Okay. So, you, you, your part. Thank you so much. And Michael. Michael's been attending with us for, for quite some time as well. And, uh, Michael just came to me this morning and said, uh, he has invited Jesus Christ to his heart to be his Lord and Savior. And, uh, so that, that's a, that's a huge amen. And, uh, I'll be talking with Michael, uh, just a little more Uh, just to to make sure uh, we have a full understanding, but that's just a praise, a praise God. You know how hard it is to come up here and and stand and and, and face people? I mean, I deal with that every Sunday. You terrify me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So so again, uh, I'm just so, I'm just so, I'm just so, I just feel so blessed this morning. Uh, so, so all those who just want to be th- who's thankful and affirm God's work this morning in Michael's life, can I get another hallelujah? hallelujah? Amen. Amen. Have a seat, Michael. Wow. This is a, this is a good, uh, this is a good Sunday. We just started Revelation. So, <laughs> yeah, woo, it's good, kind of scary. So, let me, uh, let me, uh, pray this morning for our, for our offering and, uh, Something, Larry? Okay, just give me that look. Okay, okay, yeah. I want to pray for our offering this morning and also for our fellowship afterwards. Just a reminder, our offering baskets are near the door there. So anyway, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for your love and your mercy. I thank you, Father, for moving amongst us. You truly are in the midst of your church, even Amboy Baptist. Thank you, Father. Lord God, I thank you for the decisions and the commitments that were that were made this morning. Thank you so much, Lord. Father, I pray for our offering this morning that you would help us as a church to use your money wisely. Give us wisdom, Father, and discernment and understanding as to how to manage your funds. Bless the the giver and bless the gift, Lord God. And Father, for our fellowship afterwards, Father, Lord God, I pray that you just bless this time together. I pray, Lord God, that our fellowship would be sweet, that it it would honor you Father, I pray, Lord, for those who have brought food and for those who prepared food. Thank you, Lord God, uh, for them. And Lord God, also bless this food to our bodies. Again, Lord God, may you be honored and glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen.